going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, looks, throws toward the corner of the end zone. And he's Welcome to another episode of the Duck Pod. I'm Ryan Thorburn, joined as always by Austin Meek, and we're getting ready for Oregon's road trip to Stanford this week. Uh, our guest on the pod is someone very familiar with the Pac-12, a guy who's coached at uh, about 25% of the teams in the Pac-12, uh, Rick Neuheisel, now an analyst for CBS Sports. Um, Rick, thanks so much for joining us. How are you doing out there? Uh, where, where is CBS Sports located, by the way? I am uh, in New York City. Uh, actually, I live just outside of town, but uh, go into the studios three times a week. And uh, we bring uh, the SEC game of the week uh, on the network side. And then on the, the cable side, CBS Sports Network, we do a show called Inside College Football on, on Tuesdays and Thursdays. It's a lot of fun staying close to, college, to the college game. Obviously, uh, Pac-12 fans know you were with the Pac-12 networks before this. Um, do you enjoy TV, and, and, and do you miss coaching at all? Well, I have a face for radio, but <laughs> uh, I, I enjoy uh, being able to talk about college football. It was a game that was very good to me. I enjoyed uh, it as a player and certainly as a coach, and, and I miss it. Uh, I miss being in the, the trenches, so to speak, but uh, I guess if you can't do that, this is next best. Well, you might be the perfect person to answer this question because you you coached in the Pac-12, you know the league, now you live on the East Coast, so you know what it's like when the Pac-12 game comes on at about 11 o'clock at night. Um, so we have had this back and forth with, with Chris Peterson and, and ESPN in the past week. Uh, right. A lot of coaches, a lot of people in the Pac-12 are unhappy with the late-night kickoffs. I think everybody understands it's it's a tough deal for the fans trying to get to those games. But there's been some debate about you know, the the exposure aspect of it. ESPN has said, hey, it's actually good for the Pac-12 that they have these games being played in windows where there aren't a bunch of other games going on. So are you staying up for the Pac-12 after dark? <laughs> and what's the um, you know what's the exposure for the Pac-12 on the East Coast? Are people really seeing these games that are played late at night? I can honestly tell you that I do stay up. And now, Saturday nights, for sure I stay up. The Friday night game, because I'm working the next morning, uh, becomes hard. So I did not end up seeing the conclusion of the Washington State-USC game, even though it was a really good one. And I stayed up longer than I had planned to because it was a really good one. But uh, listen, I get the argument on both sides. But at the end of the day, when Larry Scott inked the deal with ESPN Fox to bring that kind of money, which puts somewhere in the neighborhood of 25 to $30 million in the pockets of each of the 12 schools within the Pac-12, uh, the reason they did that is because their demographics said, we need this conference and this is the time slot that is vacant. They have the SEC games, which, you know, rate unbelievably well. They have the Big Ten games that rate unbelievably well. And whether they're prime time or in those day slots, to put a Pac-12 game opposite them, they're not going to recoup from the advertisers nearly the money that they'll get, and they put them in the late spots. 
And when you're looking for the game that these networks who have purchased the right to pick the best game, when they're looking for those games, they pick often the teams that are doing the best. So Oregon, uh, maybe not here of uh, in the last you know year and a half, but prior to that, and and certainly Washington within these last two seasons are going to be the teams that are picked. So I, I get it. And, and while Chris can, you know, say he's sorry to the Washington fans, for him to clamor any more than that is disingenuous because it's paying the salaries of everything that's going on in the world of college football. Rick, as you know, uh, coaching major college football can be a difficult job at times, uh, a job that changes from time to time. Um, you have to make your family move from time to time but kind of a unique situation at Oregon State where a coaching change not only happens in the middle of the season, but where Gary Anderson has pretty much waived his contract and isn't going to collect on that $12.6 million that Oregon State was going to owe to him. What do you make of that? Well, I'm, I don't think we've heard the end of it. I don't think guys walk away from $12 million. Uh, you know, I, you know, I, I want to hear what his agent has to say about that because <laughs> an agent gets to participate in that money as well. Uh, and while it may seem like really benevolent and, you know, I wasn't doing the job, so I'm walking away, I still am of the mind we're going to hear more about this because even though uh, it, it may seem like, at first glance, this is exactly what's happening. I, there are contract laws on the books that say you don't get to just have somebody walk away from that much money uh, if if there's not getting something in return for it. And I'm not sure that what uh, Oregon State's releasing him of his his uh, obligations is worth what they're what they're giving. So we'll wait and see on that end. But with the bigger story is is that there's going to be a change at Oregon State. And that obviously is is a big story. This was a you know a case of a guy in Gary Anderson who in twelve, thirteen, and fourteen won thirty games at Utah State and Wisconsin. He was considered you know one of the bright you know young coaches or or bright coaches in the college football landscape. And for him to leave Wisconsin because he thought it a little bit oppressive with Barry Alvarez is in influence there to go and take over his own program and then seemingly to have found the the um, the formula for success with Ryan Nall at season's end last year to beat Arizona and Oregon uh, with Nall getting more than 20 carries for the only two times of the year and dominating time of possession and then coming into a new year and completely departing from that formula and then reading all these wild texts yeah. that he was uh, sharing with with a reporter in the state, uh, it it boggles the mind, and that's why I'm if I'm his attorney, I'm going to plead insanity and say give him the twelve million bucks. <laughs> and these tweets are evidence of insanity. Yeah, well, I was going to ask you about those text messages because yeah, that's that's pretty unprecedented. You know, obviously Gary Anderson had um, had some friction with his staff um you know i don't know if if you've well, ever well, and there, there you hit the nail on the head it's his staff right these are, I, his, these are guys he chose yeah right and he, and, yeah. And, and, and he has the opportunity to tweak it or fix it or do whatever he wants and then to be sharing his laments to a guy in the media uh and 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 then having this all come about I, i'm i'm absolutely 
going to cry insanity and give him his money because this makes no sense. Yeah, I, can he come back from that? If if an athletic director down the road is looking at hiring Gary Anderson, does does he pull up those text messages and say, "Boy, this just doesn't look like a a guy that that we want to have leading our program"? Well. Because and, and that you hit another nail ahead, leading right. If you're the leader, and clearly he's the head coach, how how are you saying this about your staff members to somebody in the media, and not getting it across to them so that you get the changes that you're you're envisioning? Uh, and then what did the athletic director say to him? You know, in this exchange of, hey, we're going to let you out if you're your responsibility, you're in, and just you're walking away from all this money. It it, it just it, it defies logic. That's why I think we're going to hear much more about it before we uh, are done with this saga. Well, on the other side of the Civil War, Oregon is obviously paying Mark Helfrich for the next three years, but they have a a new staff in Willie Taggart and uh, a pretty good crew of assistants. I know you know Michael Johnson. Uh, well from your time at UCLA together. What do you right. think of what Oregon's doing as they try to reboot uh, after a successful run under Chip Kelly and Mark Helfrich? Well, first of all, I think what's happened at Oregon, you know, in the last, you know, 20, 25 years is remarkable. Okay, from the time that Rich Brooks took him to the Rose Bowl, uh, having been in Autzen Stadium in, in 19... 80 or 1979, you know, and and, uh, and and to see what what that place looks like now, and and is is many, you know, bright lights and and uh, flash and sizzle as any program in the country, and to have been on the doorstep for the national championship twice in that time speaks volumes. I mean, uh, I know everybody's disappointed they didn't get over the hump and 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 take the crown, but. How many programs out there have even been to the mountaintop, right? Let alone crescenting it. So I think it's a it's a marvelous place. There's been a ton of guys that uh, have put their blood and sweat equity into it. Uh, you know, from Brooks to Bellotti to to uh, Kelly to uh, Helfrich and and now uh, Willie Taggart. I, I, I'm I'm blown away, and and I known a bunch of those assistants along the way. I'm I'm good pals with Nick Aliotti, who I. Um, Got to work with at the Pac-12 networks uh, for a couple of years, and, and just think the world of him. So I know what what went into it. And while I'm was disappointed that things unraveled for Mark Alfred because I think he's a really good guy. At the end of the day, it was about recruiting. And when you saw a couple of things that were happening in the back end of their secondary, and, and when you know Pac-12 backs would be, break through the line of scrimmage and they didn't have the athletic ability to track them down, that's a recruiting piece because we, uh, we don't have to cast our minds back too long to remember the T.J. Wards and, the, and the, the Patrick Chungs of the world, right, who were not only fantastic for Oregon that, but went on after because they were the kind of guys who were cultivated and recruited and developed and so forth and ultimately uh, you know, made great uh, – uh, name for themselves and for the the University of Oregon. That to me is what was missing, and that's what I think Willie Taggart will bring back. And and I'm really impressed with what Jim Levitt has uh, instilled defensively in year one. Uh, he did the marvelous job, I think, at Colorado, and I think he's doing it again now in Eugene. Rick, you coached at Washington. You know that place inside and out. What's what's your perception of what? 
Chris Peterson um, ha- has done there? Do you, do you feel like that program is now, you know, going to be nationally relevant every year under Chris Peterson? Does he have it built up to that point? And I, you know, tying in with that, you mentioned the recruiting element at Oregon. One of the things that happened there was Washington took a big a big step forward, and some of the kids that were going to Oregon now are going to Washington. Washington State is is really good with Mike Leach. Um, are there enough players to go around up there in the Northwest that all those schools can be good, or or have we seen sort of a shift where this is the time for the two Washington schools um, to have their moment, and maybe the Oregon schools are going to suffer because of that? Well, I go back to uh, you know the 2000 when Dennis Erickson took over at Oregon State and. I got the Washington job, and you had Mike Bellotti at Oregon and uh, and Mike Price at uh, Washington State. All four schools in in those two and three years that I was part of the the landscape, all four schools were doing well. As a matter of fact, while I was at Washington from '99 to 2002, uh, Washington State won ten or more games three of those seasons. Hmm. Oregon was on fire, uh, had had the great season, the Joey Harrington year where they went and beat Colorado and I think finished number two in the country. Oregon State, uh, Dennis Erickson ended up tying us in the year that we went to the Rose Bowl and going to the Fiesta Bowl and beating Notre Dame to a pulp. Uh, and then we, we were the finished number three in the country and, and, and beat Purdue in the Rose Bowl. So all four can flourish at the same time because they don't all just recruit from the Pacific Northwest. They go down into California and they find, you know, all sorts of great youngsters that are dying to play college football and want a great education and want to come up to programs that, uh, you know, are revered. The Pacific Northwest is is a great, great place to coach. It's a great, great place to go to school. And it's not surprising that all of them can be doing well. Unfortunately, right now, Oregon State's not doing well. Oregon's kind of resurfacing as a, as a power, and the two Washington schools are on top of the world. But it's not out of the realm of possibility that all four can be flourishing at the same time. Rick, as a guy who uh, played quarterback at UCLA and obviously coached in the Pac-12 and was even a quarterback coach and offensive coordinator in the NFL what do you think about Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen? I know it's um, the spotlight's been on them a little too much maybe, but what do you think about them both this year and at the next level? Uh, I think uh, they're both big-time talents. I think uh, physically that I would lean towards Rosen, uh, especially his arm talent. Uh, you know, he's just got that ability to make every throw. I think uh, when Darnold gets to a combine scene and you're going to be seeing his arm against all the other big arms in college football, you're going to say, well, it's good, but it's not the best. But what Darnold has is that it factor, that, you know, that, you know, the, the, the gunslinger, the, the John Wayne is going to come in and save the town, right? Everybody jumps out yeah. and he goes out in the middle with the, the six gun and, and, and fires away and saves everybody. He has done it time and time again, and but for an absolute lack of offensive line uh, in the Washington State game, I probably would have done it again. Uh, he had a fourth, fourth and 13 pass in that game where things were awry, and he could never set his feet because three of his five offensive linemen were on the sideline or back in Los Angeles. So I, I think both are marvelous players. I think both will get chances to play on Sunday. And, uh, you know, obviously the two L.A. schools are lucky to have them. 
Well, Rick, we're happy to see you doing well at CBS, but but we do miss you on the Pac-12 network. Um, they, they've got some some great folks. You mentioned Nick and our, our buddy Mike Yam there. Some some good folks uh, that, that do a really good job there. But uh, but we do miss you. And the Pac-12 network is always a, a topic of conversation out here um, for the uh, the Direct TV folks who can't watch it, and um, for for those who can as well. What was your experience like uh, working there? It, you know, maybe how is it different for you now? And, um, you know, when you get outside the, the Pac-12 footprint, is there an awareness of the Pac-12 network? Do you, do you think it's caught on in the same way that some of the other conference networks have, or is it still sort of struggling to find its way? Well, you know, I could be the company man here and tell you everything's good. <laughs> or, I, or I could be honest. And it's not, I had a wonderful experience at the Pac-12 Networks. And I'm forever thankful to Larry Scott and, and uh, all the other great folks there that helped make that possible. I had a blast working with Mike Gam, with Ronnie Lott, uh, with Nick Aliotti, with Curtis Conway. We had, we had a kick. We had a really good time. And I think we did a good job. But the idea behind it where the Pac-12 and the schools would, would kind of own the networks themselves and, and then go out and make all these deals with all the cable companies and with a, with a distribution model that I think you've heard the term most favored nation, which means everybody gets the same deal, that ended up blowing up because DirecTV only wanted the national feed. It's the Pac-12 networks rather than Pac-12 network. And because of that, then the DirecTV folks now had to buy seven net networks, and they didn't want to. And then they made a deal with Dish, and then they had these, you know, plans for us to try to badmouth DirecTV and, you know, get people to sign in and cancel DirecTV, and it, that blew up in their face. And, and ultimately, that's why it hasn't caught on. You know, the SEC network is partners with ESPN. The Big Ten network partners with Fox, and I think – Given hindsight now being 2020, that would have been the better way to go because I think it would the distribution would have been much larger, the numbers and the spinoff in terms of what it meant in the the, the pockets of the Pac-12 uh, member institutions would have been much larger, and it would have made it this uh, go just as it has for the other uh, respective conferences that have seen you know record deals in terms of what what it has earned for them and in some ways that puts the pac-12 behind uh from a standpoint we already have the time zone issue but it also puts them now behind in a revenue position and that revenue is even more strained because for by and large the pac-12 athletic departments are larger there's more sports if you look across the board and just put a uh, on average how many sports each school has to finance uh, the numbers in the Pac-12 because of all the great Olympic sports and all the different you know sports that we have come to know and enjoy and championship level type uh, participation those we have 20 25 some Stanford's in the 30s those numbers are down in the 12 13 14 at a lot of the schools uh, elsewhere around the country maybe with the exception of the Big 10 and and that money that the SEC and now the Big Ten are enjoying, which is north of $40 million per institution, you're giving up 10 and $12 million on an annual basis to those things. They can get ahead of you when it comes to facilities and the ability to recruit the top flight athletes. So uh, it, it's a little bit of a, 
conundrum. I don't know how you wiggle off the hook and change it, but uh, I know Larry Scott's a brilliant guy, and hopefully he'll figure it out. Rick, uh, thanks for your time. Before we let you go, I was just curious. Um, the San Diego Chargers are now in L.A. where you played college. I know you had a, a cup of coffee with the Chargers. What do you think of uh, the Los Angeles Chargers? You know, we, we, most, as most questions you ask, we can all point to money. <laughs> yeah. And at the end of the day, these are financial decisions. I'm, I guess I'm getting older now that I have a little bit of uh, old school in me and, and, and wish that we could go back to yesteryear, whereas Lance Allworth and John Adel and, and we could get the bolts back in San Diego. San Diego is a great town. I enjoyed being there for, as you pointed out, a cup of coffee. But uh, it doesn't seem right that we don't have the San Diego Chargers. And it wasn't like they weren't going to the games. It's just, again, following the dollar. And, and somebody was coming to L.A. along with the Rams, and the, and, and the Chargers couldn't sit there and say, we're going to let the Raiders become more valuable by going if we don't go. And ultimately, the fans lose out. And that, therein lies the shame. If we don't start making decisions based on the fans, uh, we're going to lose uh, what we think is a great game. They've got all sorts of political issues right now at the NFL, and, and uh, ultimately we got to remember this is about the fans because they pay the freight. Well, Rick, hey, we really appreciate your time. It's great to catch up with you. Uh, we'll be watching you on TV and uh, hope to chat with you again down the road. All right. Go Ducks. Talk to you all soon.